How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show Podcast, episode 214. Ooh, Zeke, that was really sensual. Wah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like this very... <laughs> but yeah, your eyes closed, you were like doing this smooth head movement as you're introducing the show. It's like I go into a character. You do. When, when the podcast starts. You do. I just like, it's podcast time. No one who listens to the show knows what you really like in person, Zeke. No. No. Except the people that I teach. But then I think I even put it on when I'm teaching, too. I, like I feel a, like you, like a character. Yeah, but that I don't even know if you can control that. You kind of have to because you're putting on a performance. Yeah, for several hours at a time. It really feels like it. You get you have a full day. The funny thing mm. is, so we record on a Monday. I have a full day, so I don't have any dots. That's what teachers call them. And by the end, you're like you're really zen on the train. Like I'm falling, nearly falling asleep on the train. Oh gosh, it's a great uh, time to do the podcast. Thing, yeah, so. so I have to snap into it for another hour and a bit. Oh, but that's okay, because the film we're doing this week is, uh, despite its topic, its subject matter, it most certainly keep us awake, Zeke. We're talking about Inception. So I'm very... That was really good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not falling asleep just yet, Zeke. No. We've got ideas to implant. Um, this is tremendously exciting, Zeke. I think, and we don't need to get into it too yet. we still got quite a bit to get into before we do the second half of the show. But I am just generally so excited to be finally talking about this film. Mm. That we just sort of on a whim decided to do. It's another yes. another Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle. But uh, there's a lot more to this film than, than just him, of course. Zeke, yeah. do you have any trivia for for Inception? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with a time-related one. Okay. Um, so apparently uh, there's a listing for actually the runtime of this film's like actual time. Mm. That actually, because it's such oh, a big emphasis. Like how much it takes... How so much... how long does the plot of this film right. take? Gotcha. And supposedly it takes two days, nine hours, and fourteen minutes. Like that's the length in during the heist. Um, I would assume so. Like it, the length of time it would take if watched in the dream world. So, oh, interesting. I see. Right, yeah. because the job is ten hours. Yes. From memory, so, it's ten hours. Yeah. Um, but. I also find there's some other fun ones, like the running time of the DVD is apparently exactly 8,888 seconds. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just a couple of little... Obviously, time is... There's another one, I think, I did read where it's like, it's the film's obviously two hours and 28 minutes, um, and that it's the same two minutes and 28 seconds for the song that they play. That's meant to translate through the multiple dream layers. So I definitely think that those considera- those meticulous considerations yes. are in there for a reason. Obviously, Nolan, this is not the only film that centers around time. Oh, certainly or, not that he's directed. Um, it's actually probably a, a being our first ever director's corner. Maybe mm. he probably didn't get as elaborate a director's corner as what would evolve. In sure. Yeah. Iterations. I mean, I mean that being said, we had caught quite a lot of his filmography even back then. I've actually, I think I've seen every film he's done. I mean, there's a couple of random shorts on Letterbox that they've added in the last year that I haven't seen those, but yeah, um, Doodlebug is a is a very popular one. I'm sure we talked about that even back yes. then in episode number five. Speaking of time, man, time is flying by. What about you, Jake? What have you got? Yeah, well, it's it's funny because you know, going off last week, we watched a little film called Titanic. Just a tiny film. Just a little tiny, tiny little film there. And there's another film I watched in the last week that I'm going to talk about in Ooh, the first half of the show. Very um, that, that has a very similar heading cast, so to speak. Uh, the second round between Leo and Kate. Kate Winslet, of course. But there is a world, in, in our dreams, there is a world where 
there would have been a third outing with Leo and Kate playing a, in a relationship or husband and wife. That would have been Inception had Kate Winslet not turned down the role of Mal in this film, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, that is it, interesting. It would have been their third collaboration together, but alas, she didn't think that she could... She didn't. She said she couldn't see herself in the character, Zeke. That is very interesting. I don't know what that, what that means. I don't know. Yeah, it would be I mean, hey, female characters are very much pigeonholed in Chris Nolan films. I actually think this is one of the better films, though, in terms yeah. of female representation. Um, there, there's not a lot of characters. One of them, of course, is actually trans in real life, so... Yeah, and that'll that be an interesting, uh, interesting conversation <laughs> to have in the second half of the show, mm. because um, I don't have a hot take with that. Hot take? But a... A warm take? No, I, I, I don't know. I... Uh, Maybe a conjecture-based <laughs> statement. Okay. Um, Interesting. But we can talk about that in the second half of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Jake, can. let's just talk about what you watched in the last week. Yeah? No? I don't even need to talk about the 1100 poster? Oh, the 1100 poster. We both know it's on there. It's, it would be on there. It's on there. It deserves to be on there. Yes. We'll, we'll get into that. But you're right, Zeke. I've watched, I watched, caught a few things in the last week. Lovely. I actually did watch the new Last of Us that came out earlier today. It's still great. It's doing a really good job at the the show in general, as opposed to the game, which which you might get into soon, because you bought a PlayStation. I did. I so did. That counts as career updates. <laughs> um, That's a new career update. I bought update. a PlayStation <laughs> for my mental well-being. Well, it's it's for studying. You're going to be studying the narrative you know, of The Last of Us. And so in all seriousness, the game. I, I was having a conversation today um, with some of my students, and I said that could actually be a legitimately interesting module to teach where you do the game versus show comparison of the two okay you have to do it with older years but i find it really interesting because it'll be interesting to see how we we talk about that sort of um intertextuality Mm. um the multimodal text which is a converse which often used to be book to film but i guess now we can actually have a legitimate conversation with video game to uh to television series especially with last of us where it's not just like the actual narrative and the script but there's also in terms of perspective where it's like how does perspective change on the show versus in the game where it's more of a first person narrative yeah i find that second episode would be a great one in in isolation to analyze Mm. of the series because that's the one that definitely feels feels the most video gamey yeah (laughs) um and even, but it, I like I, as I'm like you know we talked about it a few weeks ago. It's like someone who had only seen snippets of the game here yep. and there, and having a rough idea where the story goes, um, and only remembering brief sequences, and then they've now recreated that in a live action setting. It's yep. very interesting. Um, mm. Whether it means that do we lose some of that meaning that the producer or the the creators of the game have tried to translate in the show potentially but is Mm. that not the exact same as harry potter with the adaptations from books to to films where everyone goes oh well characters were so much better in in, you know isn't that a trend recently we're following the release of the game is suddenly everyone's really going on the plot hole hunt for films versus novels and that a trend right now where they're looking at the Harry Potter books and going, oh, they were so much better in the books. Like, they've revisited. I feel like so people much. have said that since, like, two, 2001. Yeah. <laughs> There's always, like, the book's better than this because of yeah, this. this. Look, I mean, the, it definitely applies because, and, and, you know, I'm sitting here with my arms crossed 
and I'm very much comparing like each line of dialogue to its <laughs> source material. But I think with the last bit, especially compared to the Uncharted, we've talked about that, where it's like just tonally and thematically, it's what you go back to what you said earlier, Zeke, with is the show translating the ideas and themes yeah. appropriately. It's like I think it's completely nailing that side of it. So I think that's far more important than just like line delivery and things like that. The other thing I noticed, and episode five does as well, episode six does it really well, is they're just finding really clever ways to condense things where a lot of the events that take place in episode six happen in one village, while in the game it happens in several different locations. And it's like, oh, well, you know, you need to showcase these environments and then you can add uh, combat sections b- between this environment and this environment. Mm. And they just found really clever ways, especially... Because episode six really ties into what the second game, I guess, slash season two of the show is going to be about in a really interesting way, which I don't know if you'll be able to really tell until you've played the games. And it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to sitting down and playing it and then having that sort of one-to-one. Well, especially Um, because you would have watched the show first, then played the game. Yeah, so I'm having that reverse experience. Yeah, so I wonder how much that affects, yeah, just your, your... Intake, of it, I guess. Absolutely. But yeah. What else have you got? Um, well, before I get into this next one, because it ties nicely, oh, I, I might as well go into it. The Leo and Kate connection. So the second collaboration they did was Revolutionary Road in 2008. I saw that for the first time in last week. Sam Mendes, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it, it's interesting because... I do not like Revolutionary Road. Personally. You don't? No, I think I caught it... I always get that and um, per- Road to Perdition which is oh, the Tom yeah. Hanks film. Yeah. Um, I get them sometimes mixed up, but I don't know. I just, for some reason, couldn't really connect with it. Like, I thought it was interesting. It's obviously a deconstruction yeah. of the nuclear... Uh, the nuclear family, movie. sort of the, the industrial boom post-World War Two, and, and for me, all of that context and how that uh, that informs the relationship that Leo and Kate's characters, Frank and April, have, and it is based on a book, so it's not like an original script mm. they wrote up, I thought that really saved it from otherwise just being another Malcolm and Marie screaming match movie. Um, so I will say all those extra layers really did make it interesting. So I enjoyed it from that standpoint of I found it really interesting, this idea of especially them trying to find internal happiness by traveling to Paris, mm. but the constant, you know, the dangling of the carrot that is this promotion that, that Frank has, that Leo's character has, yeah. is what kind of keeps pushing him from not really knowing what he wants and that ends up destroying this this family apart and i won't go too much into spoilers of course uh, i found that all fascinating and that's kind of what saved it from me from being just a boring film about a couple arguing mm. it's actually a really adept way of sort of justifying it though like the way you've just talked about it because for yeah. me i i don't think i could get past that yeah that malcolm and marie sort of i just felt like it was i it's a difficult look it's tough because i i think the the story itself Maybe, I think it came at a different time too. I mean, I think I was just coming off the back of Marriage Story. And oh, interesting. That's an interesting... I think there's more stakes in Marriage Story. Mm. Um, and maybe that's what I've struggled to sort of connect with. Sure. Um, it's difficult subject matter too. Mm. To If you're not invested in... Yeah, like the Kate Winslet, DiCaprio fan. Like that. So I think that's a big part of the buying yeah, in. Romance. And then on top of that, the yeah, the, the novel esque storytelling because it does kind of feel novel-esque mm, yeah if you don't really like that kind of story it is quite a tough 
watch i will say to your point the film doesn't really go out of its way to to show this romantic side of their relation it's all but five seconds before they're arguing on like the second scene so it doesn't give you a lot of chance to connect with them as people beforehand whereas malcolm marie same sort of situation it it was just exhausting yeah malcolm marie was like this film cranked up to 11 it was just like unbearable yeah But yeah, I will say that had the film going for it. And in terms of the connection, like I said, I watched because of Titanic. We did it last week. I was like, oh, what what are they like? Maybe Jack was glad he couldn't fit on that door <laughs> at the end of the movie. Mm. Um, but like, it felt even just like their gaze at the very beginning of the film. It was like, this film's very self-aware of the Titanic connection. Kathy Bates is even in it. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. unashamed. But then the Sam Mendes connection to it, you picked on that really quickly that he directed it. It fits into his filmography in the sense that American Beauty was also kind of about the same things. It wasn't as much of a period piece, mm. but it is about like this domesticated nightmare that these characters are experiencing and, and trying to break bad out of that. That's yeah. why Leo has like an extra kick in his step when he realizes I'm abandoning this life, so I'm going to Paris. So it, like in terms of the people involved, it all makes sense to me. I, I agree with you. I found it quite interesting, but it's definitely not a film I'm anxious to get back to. I, I, I looked it up. It was like, oh, I got like three Oscar noms. Um, you know, Michael Shannon got a nom. Great, mm. happy for him. That's that's all of it. I am a little surprised he didn't get a best adapted screenplay nom. That was surprising to me. Yeah. Because, like, despite the whole, like, this film's a little exhausting, I'm not going to rewatch it. The ideas in it were very interesting enough. Cool. So, yeah. The only other thing, it's not really a film. I just wanted to give a shout out. I saw the uh, Wacko Movie Magic concert this past weekend so obviously Kirsty was playing in it on the double bass Very her sister nice. was you know, you know her sister was actually playing the piccolo as well and uh in its totality they were just playing scores from famous movies a lot of john williams stuff like harry potter um off the top of my head there was shimless list raiders of the lost ark but then cool. oh it was just it was fabulous it was a wonderful time uh, lion king chocolate how to train your dragon yeah some good stuff in there yeah. i will say I've never heard the interpretation of Hedwig's theme where a baby cries through the whole thing. I'm I'm kidding. Don't don't bring your fucking baby to to a concert. Don't it's, be don't be selfish. I, look, it's a fair discussion, right? Like this <laughs> age gap. It's so difficult because it's a rock and a hard place. Because it's like you want to give these these new mothers and fathers like a nice some out, slack, but it's you. There has to be a certain like caliber of show yeah. or like and the theater is the theater yeah like it's not a movie cinema i think it's fine bringing your kid to a movie cinema i mean they're gonna cry it's very annoying i think but it is only 20 dollars a ticket whereas yeah. if you're paying good money to go it's see a, something it's a live orchestra and and talking to kirstie afterwards because i made that joke to her and she immediately decided like yeah the entire the band of musicians were just like, yeah, that is incredibly annoying and distracting for us. It's hard for us to play when there's a baby screaming through the whole performance. Yeah. And like, it's so disrespectful. Frankly, I'm sorry. It's, it, it, yeah. You just need to get up and leave yeah. while your baby's like that. Yeah. I will say that it was, I, I almost did laugh because the pitch of the baby's cry with the dun, 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 dun. It's like, <laughs> it almost matched. It's like Harry getting his scar. Yeah. <laughs> It's a tough one. It's so it, close yeah, real to rock and hard, but I honestly, I agree. I think that there should be a, you need to remove yourself until this is fixed situation. Um, yeah. Because there's a certain, there's just certain performances where that's just not acceptable. No. And that's one of them. 
at least with a movie, you're right. You're only, you're only annoying the audience. You're not actually physically affecting the people yes. who are putting on the show. Yeah. Yeah, and that's 100% it. It's like, if it were, honestly, if it was the same thing with, like, stand-up comedy, like... Yeah. There's stuff where it's, like, you're actively going to affect the performance. At so. least stand-up comedy, they they can, like... Make fun of they it. They can make fun of it. Yeah. They can make it part of the gig. There's yeah. that. Yeah. A, a, orchestral music performance on established music... No, what are you gonna do? You can't stop playing. And be like, shut that baby up. Yeah, even I mean, live, the- even serious yeah. live theater. Yes, too. yeah, hundred percent the exact same. I didn't catch anything but the film of the week. Mm, That's enough. it. Um, busy. Yeah, well, I went down south too. Um, oh, I did see that. Yeah, yeah went, where'd went you go? Just a, a festival. A, nice. Um, yeah, it was a nice little getaway. Um, loved it. Yeah, mm. I always like camping, so it's always nice. So I did that. Um, Obviously, watched the film of the week, and yeah, got a PS5. So that was a. Uh, I started nice. watching um, Workaholics again. I'd only seen the first season of Workaholics. What is, what is this again? Workaholics. It's a comedy show that ran for about seven seasons, started in about 2012, and has um, you know Adam Devant. Yes. Yeah. So it's him and two of his friends, and they like <laughs> okay. create like an always sunny esque kind of show about three guys in like a dead end job. Yeah. And, I remember watching the first season and finding it really funny, but I had it. Um, I acquired it through devious means. And devious, was, yeah, no. It actually came Pirate. with your PS Five, yeah, yeah. a DVD um, of it, and that's available. <laughs> stand to watch. And Lou and I have been going through and watching the Inbetweeners because she's never seen oh, it good. before. So that's always fun. It um, actually just came up in my memories uh, the comparison between me and that kid from the Inbetweeners. Yes wild how much you kind of look like will <laughs> there it is <laughs> i got the glasses on yeah. i try to replicate the buck teeth or the gap in the tooth but i obviously don't have a gap in my teeth yes. so but i got two London. huge front teeth so that that sufficed yeah same so, haircut same glasses yeah. yeah been a pretty pretty busy time always a busy yeah. time no no that's absolutely fair enough so i assume before we move into the second half of the show and yeah talk about inception you're going to talk about uh the baptists I am going to talk about the BAFTAs because that was this morning. Yes, it came up on the. Um, it's funny because I was at work and Mal just had the TV on, so I just I just started seeing all the results there and like this quick little montage. Like, there was like a surprise. Three there were, uh, uh, dude. There were some crazy surprises because I've been kind of back on that train of all right. Let me because I I went back on Golden Derby and did my best picture. Um, sorry, my Oscar ballot thing. Mm. Fairly uneducated on what the conversation is, so like I would put. In terms of, like, what's the difference between, like, Elvis and Babylon in terms of the production design, makeup, categories? Turns out Babylon has a bit more of a chance than I gave it credit for in the production design. Because a lot of people are putting it in their number ones. But BAFTAs, now, keep in mind, BAFTAs is obviously very skewed to British filmmakers, British actors. So there's a little bit of that, and that's kind of why the whole um, The Father snafu with Sir Anthony Hopkins was such a shock. is because he won the BAFTA, and people are like, oh, well, of course he won the BAFTA. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Goes on to win the Oscar. Yeah. So there is a bit of a push and pull. But How still, much does this affect the A little the bit Oscars? of a surprise to see Banshees get kind of pushed out for All Quiet. Yeah. Well, I will say Banshees killed it in other categories because Banshees been getting like nothing in some of these other um, award shows. So I actually went in being like, holy crap, Banshees killed it. Yeah. In terms of not necessarily best film, but in a lot of these other categories, like, um, I mean, all four acting categories Barry Keegan and Kerry Condon both won for supporting yeah that's monstrous but to your point 
All Quiet on the Western Front. Holy crap. Seven. I did not realise it had that in it. Yeah. So, yeah, best film, best director, Edward Berger. I'm trying to see if it's got it all condensed for me. Uh, there's a best adapted screenplay. Sound design, I think it was. Sound design, um, best film, and not, not in the English language. I guess that was <laughs> pretty obvious at that point. Yeah, so... Best cinematography. But but this is where I say... Wow, crazy. Do you, does this throw it back? Are we looking at it? Are we sort of overlooking it when we get into this Oscar? Potentially. Season? I mean, I think, I think the conversation... I'm really excited to watch like the people that I follow and what their thoughts are. Mm. Is um, this going I, to be a Vintenberg situation? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's crazy. I mean, it's a German film. Yes. It's not even a British film. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, I... That is an absolute sweep, like you said. It got best score as well, which I think there's a lot of hype in the Babylon score, which is a great score. We didn't talk about it much in relation to the film. I don't think it had a huge effect while watching it. Listening to the soundtrack in isolation, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of funky. I'm dancing to it. But we, I remember us very much talking about the score for All Quiet on the Western Front, and it was almost so experimental that I don't know if either of us even liked no, it that I didn't much. No, like it. <laughs> It was kind of weird, and I know people who do love it because it was so different, but it got... Look at that. It got best score here. Yeah. Which is fan... Uh, I mean, hey, that's fantastic from uh, from their but standpoint. But we, we still acknowledged it, and I think that that's the mm. important thing, is when we had that conversation, the fact that it's getting... It stood out in one way or another. And we had a conversation, though we may not have been a big fan of it, clearly. I mean, we're not the ones deciding who wins this stuff, and it's films oh, are it subjective. Was. Who was I writing um, those letters to then? What's going on? <laughs> so, but I think that, yeah, we've got to sort of keep a more ear to the ground because I think Western Front might take out more than just foreign picture. Yeah, well, I think, what, it got eight noms? Seven wins. Well, I'm, I'm thinking oh, for eight. the Oscars. I think it got eight noms at the Oscars. Yeah. Or was it 11? Something crazy. The other thing, in terms of, you know, Banshees and, and um, All Quiet on the Western Front absolutely smashing it in their respective fields. Um, you got Kate Blanchett for Tar, which I think at that point... I mean, she is Aussie, so it's like the, I'm sure there's a bit of a skew there. Yeah. But the way she's going... And I, I didn't realise this because I thought Michelle Yeoh has a really great chance, but then I realised, wait, they both won at the Globes. One for comedy, one for drama. So I'm like, does her win even really count at this point? It's pretty much just a, a clean sweep from Kate Blanchett. Which I, I mean, is absolutely deserved. Her performance is phenomenal. It's just a, such a shame because, like, when, what else would Michelle Yeoh win for if not for Everything Everywhere? It's such a versatile performance. It utilizes all of her abilities, even just like the physical abilities, but then her acting, emotional. Yeah, whereas range. you've got. Yeah, I. I think it's a it's, shame, but. But we don't know. We don't know. I mean, stranger yeah. things have happened, so yeah. they could. It could flip back with the Oscars. Yeah. I, it could come I'm back not... to, you know, like we were talking about. It's like mm. people went and saw everywhere, everything everywhere yeah. all at once. And we've talked about this summer of just bombs after mm. bombs after bombs. That's after true. Bombs here in Australia, at least. And Oh, well, it, that, those are worldwide bombs. We were talking so about Babylon I mean. and, and, and... Was and, Tara a bomb? Yeah. I think it was. Fablemans was a bomb. So it's Crazy. like, do we... Does that play into it? The fact that there would be more support behind it? Well... Obviously, it's the up to the academy, up to the what four hundred people. Off of the academy, that that's several thousand. Several, oh yeah. But I I do agree. I feel like the Baftas would be less affected by just people not seeing the films, more so than the Oscars. I think the Oscars 
people need to see the films to vote for the films. I think that's fair. I think a lot of that's how Parasite won is its word of mouth was so strong that so many people had just seen it by the time the voting was up. In regard to Elvis as well, which, of course, Austin Butler won Best Actor, he's starting to turn the tide between him and Brendan Fraser. I know there's been a little talk for Colin Farrell, and he's won stuff this season. But also Brendan Fraser's won stuff. I'm pretty sure he won the... Um, oh, I guess they both would have won for drama. No, they're both dramas. What am I talking about? Unless Colin Farrow won for comedy. Was Banshees of Inisherin a it comedy? Would have been. Yeah. I guess it would have been. That's interesting. Because that's that McDonough sort of... He can kind of sit and bite. Yeah, yeah, they can get away off for the comedy. It's a funny movie. Yeah. He, he's got one of the funniest lines. But it's the same sort of thing in Bruges. It's like, yeah. it's a comedy... It's a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy. All of these films are dark comedies. Three Billboards is like the least of them of dark comedies. There's some funny scenes in it, but just like, at least within Bruges and Banshees of Inisherin, you can look at the logline and be like, that sounds like a funny film. You even watch the trailer for Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. It's literally about him being like, why aren't I your friend? (laughs) (laughs) It's great. And and some of the back and forth is just tremendous in that film. So I, I guess that could have been part of it. Um, other ones to shout out Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio for best animated feature I'm, I'm glad this is doing it because you got some random ones in there. I know Puss in Boots people love Puss in Boots but I, it's the man doesn't need to win <laughs> the man doesn't need to win. and Turning Red is um, which is funny because it's actually one of the better Pixar films of the last few years Yeah, and I don't think it's going to win anything this season which hey I'm not complaining about at all uh, the other thing going back to people having seen everything everywhere it only won for editing, which is kind of insane. But also, I'm not up... If you had to give it one, one award... Easy one. I think it. editing is one of the ones you would do it. That and director. I would love to see it win those two. And I'd be I'd be upset, you know, if it doesn't get anything else. But I yeah. mean, those, I can accept those two being the case. Um, Babylon for production design, which, I, to your point, Zeke, I'm surprised people have even seen it. To give it production design. Why not mm. just give it all to Elvis? Give makeup to Elvis. Give uh, bloody... What's the other one? Costume design to Elvis. Which, mm. to be fair, they did. Both of those. But production design Babylon. I think because Babylon literally are sets within sets within sets. Yeah. Like, you've got the big desert thing where there's, like, multiple sets that they're, like, doing these big wonders around, the big orgy parties. So I think they're able to differentiate that and be like, we should award Babylon for that. But in terms of the look, costume, makeup give it to Elvis yeah um, surprise the whale isn't getting more talk in that regard but it is what it is outstanding debut by a British writer director producer After Sun from Charlotte Wells that's playing now so I'm very excited to see that it's got the one Oscar nom for Paul in the uh, lead yeah lead performance yes leading actor very exciting um, and then Banshees of Inisherin one outstanding British film so that that's the other thing to talk about in terms of Inisherin getting all the British the BAFTA awards I'm guessing that's a big skew, and we're not going to see it do as well at the Oscars. No. I think that's very... That was very its likely. moment in the uh, the sun. Yeah. The after sun. I'm just <laughs> there you go. I like it, Zeke. I like what he's doing. Uh, I am most happy for Kerry Condon in this. She's amazing. I'm so happy to see her get recognition here, if she doesn't somewhere else. But this does change the conversation, because really, people are saying it's between her and Angela Basket for Black Panther. So it really does depend on do they give it to Kerry Condon or they do they try and give Black Panther another Oscar. I'm sorry, that is the conversation that's been had. <laughs> <laughs> having not seen Wakanda forever. Always good having your uh, ear to the ground with this time of year, Jake. Oh, well, you know, 
got to do it. No, I, I do enjoy all this stuff, and I'm glad I'm paying more attention to it, especially because these BAFTAs, a lot of surprises in here. Yeah. A lot of surprises. Very happy to see it. Good stuff. No worries. Well, it's time for us to move into our film of the week, but Jag, what are we watching? This week in the show, Zeke, we're watching Inception. There's one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams? Mr. Cobb has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. Like a work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not strictly speaking legal. It's called Inception. Already. I think I found a way home. And this last job, that's how I get there. Dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. It's your sole responsibility. We are not prepared for this. Dreams collapsing. Have it under control. to see out of control. Cobb, a skilled thief who commits corporate espionage by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets, is offered a chance to regain his old life as payment for a task considered to be impossible. Inception. <laughs> I get it. It's a dream within a dream within a dream. And then limbo within that, those dreams. Yeah. There's a lot. Zeke. Inception. Inception. <laughs> End of, end of story. No, um, I what I'm so excited to talk about with this film, especially because I think this came out at such a seminal time, especially for us as like its primary audience. We were both, what, 13 when this film came out? Yeah. It's kind of, you know what? I was literally talking about this in class because it, it sunk in that the students in the class, my media class, were two when avatar james cameron's oh, avatar came out and goodness. four when this film came out whereas where like you said where what 15 14 15 at that time for i reckon about 13 13 great time the perfect time oh the perfect time to watch a kind of film like this it's a big high concept action film that is multi-layered so you, you can watch it and watch big action scenes but call yourself smart for watching it all the characters, they're these cool inceptors, you know, thieves, extractors, they're wearing cool suits. It was the perfect film for us to watch at that age. But even from Christopher Nolan's, like, directorial filmography, 
it's sort of right there next to the Dark Knight. This must have been the peak of his popularity. I think it's easy to claim this was the peak. I mean, this. I mean, we're talking to go like if we were to bookmark it, it's from yep. Dark Knight to Interstellar, right? Two thousand and seven, eight to twenty fourteen. Mm. So yeah, you and uh, you're one hundred percent right. That's but, it. But even then, peeps, a lot of people didn't like Dark Knight Rises. So it's like in terms of just having banger followed up by original banger, because this is a very original. I mean, okay, it, we'll get into some of its inspiration. It's not the most original film ever made. There's visual inspirations. Uh, there's other films that have done similar storylines, but in the way it was presented, mm. being this high concept but easily consumable blockbuster, and I say easily consumable, you probably do have to watch this film more than once. I'm watching this for the what twentieth time knowing incredibly well how it all works, trying to put myself in the mind of watching it for the first time again, like, how much of this would I retain on the first viewing? Hmm. Because I've only watched maybe the film to completion, I'd say, four or five times. Like, not right. a lot of times. Sure. And it's been a very long time between drinks. Like, I think I might have watched the film when it came out, yep. and then might have watched it one more. T- this might actually be my third viewing of this film. Wow, okay. And... I do really like it as a film, and you're 100. You've hit the nail on the head. This the highest concept yet consumable film, hmm. and he kind of is. You know, to come back as a director, he's kind of brilliant. At, this is kind of his little niche. Is this consumable blockbuster that has that high concept there? It's not like a Spielberg yeah. where it's palatable, simple, just power of storytelling. Sure, it's got that pseudo-intellect element to mm. it. it you know and this comes in a lot of his films like this film and even films like memento that have that playing around with time or i mean yep. this film and interstellar kind of bookmark each other on the high concept yet consumable like the fact that all the laws are explained mm. in a way that everyone can understand it yet yeah i mean compared has... to tenet that is so cold and heartless and is ininterpretable yeah, like the, the, watching Inception again, it's like a relief to be like, oh, I wasn't crazy. Like I, Nolan was so much better at doing this ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah, and even when you like look at things like The Prestige, where they break down magician secrets yep. in in a scaffolded way, almost like we're having a lesson on mm. that particular thing. And yep. there are scenes like this when you know Elliot Page is with with Joseph Gordon Levitt, and they're talking yep. about the paradoxical stairs. Yes. Penrose Staircase. Penrose Staircase. And it's it. interesting because it's easy to consume. And, and you know, you got the characters of Arthur and Cobb who are essentially in the the, the middle chunk of this film just mm. explaining the rules of Inception. Like, yeah. we don't actually really, apart from, like you said, the heist where it all plays out, it's like we actually spend the first hour and 20 minutes of this film setting up for that heist <laughs> and meticulously explaining every single rule of it yeah. that... You know, and and Elliot Page is our uh, it's Elliot Page, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and is our uh, just our well, the avatar, audi- the audience surrogate. The, oh, yeah, the yeah. audience surrogate. That's a great way of phrasing it. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's like there's so much information just being thrown at you. But it, it but it's I I think it's the but way it's he grounds really well, it, though. where it's like he's explaining like the rules are really simple, like you can manipulate physics beyond comprehension, but mm. the the subconscious attacks you like white blood cells. Yeah. And it's like that sequence of explaining, particularly that middle sequence is so clever because every rule was explained pretty perfectly. Yeah. 
and you've got multiple characters, you know, you've got Tom Hardy's character, everyone saying, sort of almost repeating the same rhetoric. Yeah. So it allows, by the time we actually get to the heist, we kind of understand what's going on. Exactly. Which which is the polar opposite comment I made about Tenet when we saw that a few years ago, is by the time you get to the scene where they're crashing a plane into a building, you're like, why are they doing this? But yeah. Inception gives you so many opportunities to understand the, the laws around this idea of incepting people's brains through their dreams, uh, that by the time you get to the heist, you know what the stakes are and you know what the goal is and you understand how the time manipulation is working because there are no fancy editing tricks or like stylistic cinematography to show you the difference between the, you know, the, the time length between dreams. It's just basic well, um, cross-cutting. Honest. Honestly, yeah, it's just cut between three different shots. Yeah. And it's simple things like creating the, the, the jump device where, you know, we see this we see this uh, van go shooting off the bridge. We know yep. when the van hits the water, everyone wakes up yep. on that layer. Or we know on the on the Arthur level when we're in the hotel, we know he, as soon as that um, that elevator hits the floor, yeah. it everyone's going to wake up. So... And it becomes very easy to to sort of assume where the where these jumps are. Yeah. Um, and I will then, say yeah, the van the van is the one of the few exceptions where that's all in slow motion. Yeah. Once the van is airborne, that whole sequence is in slow motion. But it makes it very easy because it, yes, it's exactly. like we know that that's the one that really kind of guides all of the time principles. Like yeah. that's the one everyone needs to get back to. Yeah. And it's as simple as a van hitting the water. Where you're like, okay, I understand it. Like, yeah. it, and it, it builds so well as a as a film. Um, I think for me, some of the big takeaways I got from this viewing experience is I think it's one of the most exceptionally casted films in okay, its ensemble yeah. choices. I think it's great choice. Do you not? Agree? No, it's, I don't not agree. Yeah, I, I mean it. It's yeah, it's a very, I, I it's a very like it's, fun cast. Yeah, but it, for me, it, it. But they're not quirky. Like they're not like oceans, like Soderbergh, sort of Ocean's Eleven quirky, sure. where they're all eccentric. They sort of are a little closer together. Like mm. they've all got specific roles. Yep. they execute. And yeah, they've got little quirks, but they're not like there's little beef between like Arthur and and is it. Eames, is that his name? The the Tom Hardy character. Yes. They got a bit of beef and they were always making snarky comments towards each other. But you're right, it's not overly stylized. It's very... The relationships are quite clear. I just think that they work grounded. off each other really well. Yeah. Um, the yeah I mean, that goes back into Christopher Nolan. Like, he's casting to it. It's very, like, in-house. Like, it's a lot of just his friends. And it's like, even um Ken Watterby was just like, oh, I liked him in ba- Batman Begins, but he was only in it for a few minutes, so I'm going to give him, like, the second lead role in this film. Like, that's, Huge like, his role. casting mindset, which, hey, I mean, for this film, works great. I'm trying to remember who he is in Batman Begins. I can't. I remember just reading that. I was like, oh, I, I do remember his face. Is he, is he, like, the Ra's al Ghul, fake Ra's al Ghul? He might be one of the gangsters, actually. Huh. Obviously not Valcone, but... No. I don't remember. I, it's been so... Long. It was actually on TV today, Batman I Begins. I love Batman Begins. <laughs> I'm a massive fan of Batman Begins. Yeah. Well, that that could also fit his echelons between that prestige and then leading through to this film. Like, he's directorial. Yeah, you're kind of surprised um, Christian doesn't pop up, hey? Christian Bale. Just like... But I like that. It's like the same with, like, this is the only film Leo's in that he's directed. And yeah, I, I kind of like Leo's that. Leo's a really good casting, to be honest. Like, I think he's well cast. Yeah. His. I don't think this is, like... 
peak Leo performance. This is a very just consumable, palatable sure. Leo performance. We're not getting like too much. Like it feels a little like Cobb is. I think he's a well-written character that a lot you could probably interchange him with quite a few different actors could have played. Cobb. Yeah, I I think that not even the word charismatic. That's not the word I'm looking for, but just the way he's able to present that information in a non-robotic way, even though he's not like an overly versatile character emotionally, he does have moments where obviously he's watching you know Mao jump out the window and mm. he's just sort of in agony there, and that he's dealing with with trauma. Yes, and is sort of a tortured soul who's being destroyed by time and being stuck in limbo forever but he plays it straight enough that it's that it's still entertaining though and i think that's sort of the key to him being the i guess the director of the group because have you have you read this and nolan's i remember hearing this like theory that these all these characters are just representing on-set film roles and i didn't realize nolan actually said yes it's exactly what it is in that Cobb is the director arthur's the producer Fleischer, Fleischer mm. or Fisher, which he's the audience surrogate. You got uh, Salto, who's like the, the producer head, who's sort of overseeing everything. Eames is the actor. I didn't realize he came out and like actually confirmed that this was exactly how he wrote the film, as if they were an on-set crew, which is... Sort of makes sense. It makes perfect sense, because you think about it from that structure. And, and I want to talk about... When I was watching this film, I kind of broke the whole thing down into three categories in terms of, of what makes this film tick and what makes it work okay one of them is architecture not just the literal architecture and bending of physics and time and shapes but also the architecture of of this group creating a narrative that they're implanting this idea in their target's head it's built on the foundation of a relationship and a story they're they're basically writing a script in the whole middle half of this film as they're planning, okay, well, what what's the emotional resonance to get this audience member to react in this way? Yeah, and then it's the um, it's almost <laughs> it's kind of crazy when you yeah. think about it that way. And then it's the whole obviously Killian Murphy, which mm. you know we can talk about that performance because I think yep. that's a real sleeper hit in this. Okay, yeah. I think I don't think you know this is in a pre major Peaky Blinders boom, and I think now Killian Murphy is definitely recognized for his abilities but he's amazing in this film mm. but like you said he basically goes on a hero's journey in the second <laughs> half of the film like a full-blown hero's journey that was yes that constructed. was perfectly correlated from it was it was architectured into <laughs> you know the moment where he dies and he gets rescued from limbo and he recovers and he goes into the vault yeah and which looks eerily like the ending of 2001 one yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's like crazy because you you know you're like you're 100 percent right. He undergoes an an, an arc that yeah. is actually created by the by these uh these people, this team. Yeah, so it's 100 very much like directors and writers forming the arc for this character as as they're like this you know plank of meat. And it's like we got to get them from here to here. Here's the narrative we need to create to to get them to that and then yeah. yeah you got the production design of creating the maze which is is meant to be them protecting themselves being able to navigate the maze without being killed by projections or whatever but that's an incredibly important visual element of storytelling mm-hmm. is creating the part and that it's interesting i don't want to get too offside that that for me that's the architecture angle of this mm-hmm. film one of them is obviously time which we can talk more about in a minute but the third one and i don't know how much people talk about this is the make-believe element of this film. 
because so much of it is so fantastical and and wild but the film perfectly motivates all of that i mean there's a sequence here where they're they're literally riding against the snow on these not jet skis but like these snowmobiles and there's bases exploding it's like it's also ridiculous but they and motivate every it perfectly. single one of these people is just like james bond like that that whole <laughs> sequence of hardy like lassoing people yeah, and yeah. and perfectly killing and it's like so like it's like i get it they're they're skilled but they're like perfect at this <laughs> like he literally is like james bond yeah in this moment and you start to think was well, that because they have like a an unspoken superhuman ability or their ability or they become i always found that they never address that like what how is Cobb so good at like you know that there's the opening sequence when he's moving through the old sato's uh, kingdom yeah and he's silencing and like grabbing people and he's like he's yeah, like john no, wick and you're john like wick. and you're like well this is this is crazy like he's a thief he's a burglar but he's able to perfectly execute these hitman-esque moments yeah which um, i mean you know speaks to our 13 year old self so much of like watching these cool characters do cool things on screen yeah. but again it's like because this is all motivated by you know their dreams and we see characters manifest guns out of nowhere. We see them manifesting like all these sets, like the safes and everything. How they say the brain sort of automatically sends information you want to keep secret into physical safes and mm-hmm. vaults. Um, but like, there's even like Polyjuice posting thing where Eames is like shifting into different characters and playing those roles. Where so it's what's like, to stop them from becoming mm-hmm. these super soldiers in well, those moments? Well, yeah, I guess the thing that I caught on as well is, and this goes back to time is the lack of time is the cause of tension where they they were meant to have a week in that first level to uh, kidnap Tilly Murphy and sort of... And come on, there's a whole um, sort of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, my God, how am I forgetting the word? Like, they have to improvise yeah. throughout the... Because a lot of it is unknown where they have to go in, interrogate characters and figure out information. That yeah, and, and, and how the story's told in the next level down. Yeah, the, the tension is almost multi-tiered too because, yeah, you got the time which gets cut because of the Sato gunshot wound in the first level. Yeah. So then that cuts their time down. And then on top of that, then you add the permadeath aspect yep. <laughs> to it. Permadeath, yeah. And then you've got the unpredictable nature of Cob- Cobb's diminishing psyche. Yeah. So... So they do create forms of tension. And that's all within 10 minutes. They mm. just basically create that tension. Yeah. And it's so strange because it almost feels like the first... the It's Inception is an hour and 20 minutes of a prologue <laughs> setting up the actual story. <laughs> and the highest... The, the three-act structure doesn't actually start until you get to the... Well, in a, in a sense, because it's... Well, it's almost like two three-act structures. You've got the three-act <laughs> structure in the dream. And then you've got three-act structure where you've got obviously yeah. because well, it goes back to the Penrose that's sort of the vertical structuring and layering of mm. that storytelling how they navigate that but I mean for me it's like how is that much different from Ocean's Eleven where it's like well the first half of that film is just prepping for the main heist as well it doesn't yeah. feel that di- it's just that what they're prepping us is not what they're going to do mm. it's how all of this even works and makes sense yes so we're getting fed so much different information leading into the second half of the film that is the main heist yeah. But the other thing is, not only is the lack of time a cause of tension, the actual, um, what's it called? It's the um, 
the endlessness of time that is what is at stake. Because if they do get stuck in limbo, and we see it what happened with Cobb, where in reality he's an old, wise, and tortured man who looks like he's just thirty. Yes, <laughs> but it's like that is what he's become very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Every time he comes out of a dream, he's frantically throwing the totem down. He's just he's right on the edge of just losing his mind because he can barely tell what's real and what's not real. Mm. And I think that is what it's, is at stake for most of the characters, even more so than just getting shot or tackled by a projection. Yeah, and we, and we sort of see it to an extent with Sato. Mm. And he becomes he, an old man. Yeah, he does become an old man. <laughs> and it's very interesting, the, the ending, which I don't know if we're ready to talk about the ending. Right. Well, I mean, this film's 13 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> is he dreaming, Jake? Mm-hmm. See, I'm one of those losers that's like, oh, look, it's starting to wobble at the end. You can see it. You but it is starting to wobble at the end. Exactly. <laughs> like, it actually is in the shot. It's starting to wane. It's one of those things where it might have almost been more powerful if they'd cut a few frames earlier. Yeah. And, like, legitimately just have it spinning, 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 cut. Which I think is actually how it's scripted, if you find the script. And I think they may be a little too long in the edit. Um, but the main thing, the main thing there is... He's not paying attention to it. He spent the whole film frantically, like, jumping out of dreams, not knowing if he's in one reality or another, and, like, will not rest, will not calm down until the totem falls. And it's this time at the end when he's not even looking at it. He's over with his kids. So there's almost an aspect of, like, does he even care anymore? Yeah, there definitely yeah. is. I think that's very clearly what the what the go-to is. The ending, to me, just screams that it went successfully. Yeah, and it feels gone. really good yeah like what's what's the point in even it being a cliffhanger ending really in an epic so in a film and this multi you know this multifaceted mm. blockbuster film what's the point in having such an open ending you know what i mean like right. it's almost really nice the ending in interstellar because the arc that mcconaughey goes on does find a very clear it's a much more finish. conclusive ending um, even with the whole like open ending, him going back out to go find Anne Hathaway, yeah, it doesn't really matter that openness because the story we knew at its core was completed. Yeah, and I think um, there's not apart from it being that sort of gimmicky, or well, almost true to the film itself. Like we don't, we want you to have this conversation. To me, I think it's very clear that. He's out of the dream. And it's good that he's out of the dream, mm. like, world, because his arc's finished. Well, what, he's, he's overcome his demons. Yeah, what in terms Debbie of Debbie Downer if he's still in the dream world? <laughs> I mean, no, you have look, to watch I, his wife I, commit suicide. Like, can we just... <laughs> look, if, he, if I was directing Inception and he asked me, should we make it... Uh, should we let it, like, topple over in the nappy of the ending movie, or should we cut before it does it? Uh, a million times, I would... I would go with the latter because it's just a much more interesting ending. Yeah. And yeah. any ending that invokes conversation, I am all for it. I just personally think they should have went even harder, cut a few frames earlier. I probably like I probably would, but I can maybe that was the maybe that was the logic, maybe that's why they left those few frames in there because they wanted you to be like more yeah, it's probably going to top over. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. If you wanted to sort of skew the scale of how much of your audience wants the happy ending or the the more nihilistic ending. It'd be an I honestly reckon it'd still be a nice shot. It's a great last shot. And if you actually had it falling over or have that moment where it goes just long enough that we all start to go, oh, oh. 
yeah, and was, then it topples. <laughs> like you get that one last awe. I was just thinking, how long does the shot have to be before the audience is like, it's not going to topple, is it? It's like eight minutes long. You imagine <laughs> the if whole they... credits. That would be so clever if the credits started rolling and yeah. it's still spinning. Oh, that would have been dope. And then at the end, oh, the credits, so it cool. topples over and falls over. That'd be cool. And you make it digital too. You just do it digitally. Yeah. Oh, well, don't say that in front of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. He can't say that after Tenant. He has no right. <laughs> I just want to see how much how much he blows up with Oppenheimer when it comes out later this year. No. Well, <laughs> there will be quite a bit of blowing up in that. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, but I think... Yeah, I, I, lo- I love the discussion that comes from the ending. And that, that's my personal belief. But it, I say it's boring because it comes from the literal edit. Like, I wish it was something that was more, like, spiritually within me and my belief system that prompted my answer to the ending. But it is what it is. Um, yeah, I going back to this architecture side of it, it reminded me a bit of Wolfwalkers when we talked about that from, what, a year ago now? Or mm-hmm. A little less than a year ago. Just in terms of the way that, as an animated film, plays with shapes. 2D, 3D, plays with depth, where it really crushes everything. Even mm-hmm. though you're looking at this big valley with a castle... But it looks so flat because the yeah. filmmakers wanted to express it in that way. It was really interesting. For this film, it's so much more... Like, it has to serve so much more purpose than just artistic expression. Because the architecture is... If that doesn't make sense and is not practical, then the whole film falls apart. Because mm. we can talk about dreams being a manifestation of make-believe and kids playing in the background. of Oh, they're manifesting guns and people are turning into other people. But... What I love is that the the architectural laws are all relevant in terms of what shapes can you bend and, and break. And I love, you know, when Elliot Page is pushing on the glass and that snaps or when all the buildings start collapsing on each other. I just love the use of shapes mm-hmm. in that scene because it explains not only how you can manipulate the dream, but how long it takes for the projections to sort of catch on to what yeah. you're doing. And this idea that you never quite remember how your dream starts. Or quite notice something is wrong until it's far too late in the dream. I love all those like real life comparisons that they mm-hmm. make to the things that we we still don't understand dreams. We talked about this on Nightmare on Elm Street. We don't really know what dreams are or how they work. No, but or why f- we why we have them? Exactly, and I and I think this film really takes that idea and just runs with it in a fun way. But I want to mention this. I don't know if you've seen these comparisons. There's an anime called. Uh, Paprika, Paprika, I believe is what it's called, from, I think, 2006. And it is very clearly the visual inspiration for this film. Not only the glass breaking, but the rotating hotel hallway is straight up stolen from this film. <laughs> like, it's not even a question when you compare the footage together. Which, really? Yeah, yeah, which I think is interesting. It's cool because... You know, it's taking this inspiration from an anime, which is animation and fantastical, and we just compared it to Wolfwalkers. Yeah. Putting it in a live-action setting where they're making things look weird and, and, and sort of um, strange and bending mm. into weird shapes and sizes, but in live-action. So I appreciate that, but I needed to point out how absurdly <laughs> similar those films are, <laughs> at least visually. Oh, goodness me. Animes. Always setting the tone. I know, I know. Well, it's like that as well. Now, I've seen Akira and that inspired stuff from, I think, Blade Runner or, or Blade Runner 2049. It's pretty common. You should watch more anime on the show, Zeke. Yeah. Outside right. of Spirit of the Way. Jake, do you have anything <laughs> to add before we move into a highlight scene? Yeah, I think I what I love 
the thing we haven't talked about I mean we talked about them being filmmakers and, and almost like storyboarding the, the, the structure of the movie yeah but I, I particularly found it interesting that Eames, who's kind of like the actor of the group, he's not necessarily the architect or the writer or the director, is the one to point out to them that really they should be ignoring all the political motiv- motivations of this job. Because if you look at it from that way, they're hired by a guy who just wants to eat this other company mm. and wants, like, dominance in the... Is it the electric marketing? It's, it's true. Um, but the it's, energy market. And it's, it's weird because it's like, well, how do you make Sato a compelling... Because he's part of this protagonist group. Yeah. And obviously, when he gets shot, mm. yeah, sure. There's the aspect of of Cobb being like, like, oh well, we we care about Sato because he'll honor the agreement for Cobb. Mm. But he almost undergoes sort of that flip too, and it becomes very clear that the Sato's thing is not just to eat up this other company, but because this company will monopolize mm. and free market will cease to exist because if this company stays together. Right. So by separating the assets, it allows other businesses, not just Sato's, but others to exist. There's a whole dialogue with Cobb and Sato okay, yeah. on the rooftop that sort of almost suggests that Sato's trying to actually do it for a more genuine For a reason. more no- noble cause yeah. than, than what would and otherwise be shown, yeah. Yeah, because then there's the lines, like when he gets shot, he's like, I'm going to still honour our agreement. Yes. Like there's, there are like weirdly noble things when it's like this character at first just feels like... Feels like an evil character. He's going to be the secret evil character of yeah. this. But when in fact the real only bad guy is uh, the dad, isn't it, of mm. of Killian Murphy? Yeah, exactly. And I love that they basically say we're going to have to villainize this other guy to make the dad look good, when in reality he wasn't at all. Which is kind of like, you know, it's when people look at the Dark Knight nowadays and it's like, was the Joker really that bad of a character? Like their motivations or like that kind of alternative reading of films. Yeah. And like the bad character is actually the good character. But as as they said. He like it was self serving. That character that yeah, Eames was in person was was only wanting to keep the the empire together because then he would have more control over it. Exactly. Yeah. But again, I thought it was quite interesting that it was Eames that pointed out that we have to for the purpose of this story to tell the story and and take this character on a journey, we have to ignore all the political motivations and make it about the father. And it's almost like the actor telling the director, especially Christopher Nolan, he doesn't have a lot of heart in a lot of his films. <laughs> it's very it's very structured and, and, and right-brained, so to speak, or left-brained, I should say, um, and and be like, hey, this is how we emote to the audience, this is how we connect them. Is Everyone has, you know, relationships yeah, that they care about. Because that, that shift happens in it, and it sticks with when you get to Interstellar, where mm. you've got this big, grand journeyman story but at the core it's just a relationship between a father and a daughter exactly so I like that it was a character within this film that had to remind the other characters yeah that's what the story needed to be but before we move on there's one scene I actually thought potentially could have been cut from the film now you you tell me Zeke if, if maybe this is not enough information without this scene but in particular, it's the scene when... And it's I think it's the only time we cut away from the perspective of any of the main heist group is when we see that interaction between Fisher, Fisher, whatever his name is, and his father. And the fact that he like he throws... He knocks over the, the photograph and now there's like a crack in it. It's really the only time we see what their relationship is actually like before the group figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I gotta ask, was it was it worth cutting away from their perspective just this one time to have the scene, would it not have been more interesting for us to learn alongside the characters what um, his relationship like, with as his father Eames was? As Eames is watching on, 
sort of because Eames yeah. is the one who's seeing that scene because every other character doesn't know that relationship. It's only mm. Eames who's managed to get in. Oh, and, was Eames in that scene? I didn't yeah, even notice so that. So the whole thing is like <laughs> Eames that is shows watching. shows you how I'm smart. <laughs> and it can't, he's like peering out of the room looking in. I'm an idiot. I didn't even to see that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I take that back then because it's still within the realms of yeah, the knowledge of the characters. Yeah, he's not directly in the room, but sure. Okay, but that's, that's enough the to realize the relationship there is is stifled or not is, not amazing. Yeah, stressed. Okay, I I feel like an idiot. I didn't. That makes sense now. <laughs> There's a lot of jumping around though, and the first half of the film in particular, it's like moving at it's packing a lot of information and moving at a breakneck speed like Michael like mm. Michael Keane am I saying Michael, okay, Michael Keane Keane what what happened um, <laughs> what do you mean what like, happened my brain Keane? just broke oh right, um, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah Michael Keane he's in it for like two minutes just to introduce Elliot Page it's that's like it, that's, his, that's the same role he has in Tenet <laughs> at yeah. least I can understand what he's saying in this film yeah and he actually he said something funny where I think I think Leo's character is talking about like how France and America they're not going to like convene to arrest him and he's like oh for you they might I was like huh that's funny it's a bit of character in him yeah and it's really interesting because it's like it moves at such a crazy pace Mm. so it is tough to keep up with Um, whereas it feels like with Ocean's Eleven I feel like you're giving me a pat on the back there Zeke I appreciate it it's okay (laughs) Jake what was your highlight scene Um, it's I was tossing up between whether it is that storyboarding discussion scene because it is such a great, it is great, like seeing the characters kind of come up with the plan before it happens. But I got to give it to the hallway fight scene with Arthur and the projection. They ripped it off in the anime, money. but but it's 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 such a wonderful fight scene, yeah. it's so iconic, and the fact that they did it practically with a real rotating hallway, much like a Nightmare on Elm Street. It's mm. um there you go. There's another there's another connection between that and dreams. So yeah, just just a. What a brilliant scene. Yeah. Cool. I, what about you, Zeke? What's your highlight scene? I'm going to go with something on the same level Okay. as the hallway Not scene. Not two levels down in the dream world? Yeah, but second <laughs> second level down. Okay. Oh, there um, you go. Same level. I actually really like the, introduce, the, introdu- the introduction of the Mr. Charles between uh, okay. um, Cobb and, and Killian Murphy's character, Fisher. Um, I find it is a really kind of cool sequence, the whole playing with the world. And, mm-hmm. ha- and we actually start to see, obviously, there's a car chase occurring on the on the first level. Yeah. And how that's affecting the weather on the second level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is some really cool sort of, um, we start to see that ripple effect as mm. we move down the levels. And that, there are a couple of other more instances, like an avalanche uh, occurring on the third level. Um, yeah, well, it's a simple cause and effect, and that's how your brain connects those. So cool. There's no other stylistic thing going on. I mean, the film does it at the start. To It does three things to establish how these levels work, which is, number one, the close-up on the watch that slowly um, starts slowing down or speeding up before it cuts to the next scene. And then, of course, the him falling in the bathtub, the water comes in, and then the music. They establish all those things early on so that it pays off when he's explaining it mm. um, to Killian Murphy. But... The other thing as well I like is going back to the improv that I was talking about earlier where they didn't realize that he was trained or that his mind was trained to deal with, um, you know, inceptors. So he uses that information the second level to change the plan and be like, all right, now I'm going to explain to him and convince him that I'm one of the trainers. 
and then that way we can get him on our side and then it's so clever it's very so clever because cool. that's something they would have only thought to have done after entering the dream already yeah so um i keep saying improv there was another word that i was thinking of so they're adapting yeah adapting exactly they're adapting to the situation at hand which makes it a much more interesting heist film because it's not all just playing out as we were told in the first half of the film inception is currently out on stan yeah stan netflix paramount plus and of course home release i got the blu-ray right there brilliant, brilliant i don't know on dvd really i honestly was surprised you should get it i'm sure there's a bunch of bonus features on the disc yeah. but speaking of streaming platforms jake what's mm. new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week uh not too much you got smile the horror film coming to prime you got Bruiser coming to Disney Plus. Sees 14-year-old Darius explore the boundaries of his manhood with his strict but loving father Malcolm. Uh, coming to Netflix, you got We Have a Ghost, which sees a family become an internet sensation when they discover a ghost in their house named Ernest. And while digging into Ernest's past, inadvertently become targets of the CIA. Oh, we gotta gotta watch out there. And I just 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 slightly, just slightly. You just got Emily the Criminal, the Aubrey, uh, Aubrey Plaza film. Excuse me. Uh, that season a college graduate with student debt become involved in a credit card scam it's actually coming to binge and Netflix cool so you've got a couple of options there and coming to cinemas this is exciting Zeke Cocaine Bear it's about a bear that does cocaine and embarks on a drug fueled rampage on cops criminals tourists and teenagers in the Georgia forest have you seen the trailer for this? no it, it's as great as it sounds a bear does cocaine and just nuts that's killing people yeah. This is great. It's what cinema's all about. I think Luna are doing the choc top thing. They're gonna put they're gonna put white powder on the choc on the choc tops. So you're, you're it's like you're licking cocaine. It's like blood and honey. Came yeah, I know. We're getting a couple of those now. That reviewed horribly, by the way. Yeah. That's got like a point seven or a some incredibly low score on Letterboxd, I noticed. You also got Fisherman's Friends number two, which is set after their performance on the pyramid stage and sees the group travel to South Australia to develop their second album. Had no idea that film was about music, but evidently it is. Uh, After Sun, which of course we mentioned, got the BAFTA, yes. um, is going wide this week. Very exciting. And also, Flickerfest starts this week. You can catch some of the best Australian shorts at the Camelot Outdoor Thursday the 23rd. And at the same place over the next two days, or the, the two following days, so I guess the Friday and the Saturday, you can catch the EU shorts and the Short Laughs Comedy. So there you go, Flickerfest. And I know May WA, or WA made was on as well yes I think they're selling out a lot unless their marketing is just really good but from what I can tell they're selling out a lot of sessions so very nice maybe you can go check that out bit of local local spice yeah support the locals yeah well I just donated money to a local production on, on it wasn't Indiegogo it was some other some other funding thing that I never heard of but I should have went with them because Indiegogo they take a big cut out of your <laughs> out of the amount that you get Ended up being like 12%. It was ridiculous. Really? Yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. So I might look at something else next time. If, if there is a next time, I might not do a fundraiser next time. But one's enough. I've asked plenty of people, Zeke. Yeah. One fundraiser's enough. Let's let's get Skin and Blister finished first. Yes. One, one film at a time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I guess it's time for us to move into what we're covering next week on the show. Mm. We're moving into another director's corner. Jake, who's That's the director? It. And what are we watching? Next week on the show, we've, we've covered one of his films before, Zeke. I'm very excited to cover the next one. Actually came out earlier. Frank Darabon, The Shawshank 
redemption. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. I submit that this was not a hot-blooded crime of passion. Consider this. A revolver holds six bullets, not eight. That means that he fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. By the power vested in me by the state of Maine, I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back. One for each of your victims. So be it. Send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me! In the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Andy Dufresne, a successful banker, is arrested for the murder of his wife and her lover and is sentenced to life imprisonment at the Shawshank Prison. It is here that he meets Red and forms an incredible friendship. Hmm. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a classic. I think I, I've only seen this film once, ever. Good time to do it, obviously, with Last mm. of Us coming to the uh, the back end of season one and that comparing of contrast with between that and Walking Dead. We can talk right. about it a little bit. Because Frank Darabont did Walking Dead. Oh, right. Of course. Wasn't reaching. No, swear. fair enough. I was really confused when you're right, he did do the Walking Dead. He did. First two seasons. <laughs> First two seasons. I was so afraid of um, But obviously, yeah, Frank, Frank Darabont probably he hasn't done a lot of feature films no but has arguably done one of the what critic most critically well acclaimed films of all time yeah with no, the Redemption, so well i'm excited to watch this again i i think i only saw it once in i was in high school when i saw it and i loved it i thought it was excellent i'd love to watch it again now especially because we did green mile a couple of years ago i freaking love the green mile so i'd love to see how it compares in hindsight and i've never seen the mist he did a feature... He did one feature before Shawshank. I'll see if I can find that. For a director's corner. We should, we go. Uh, let's go for it. Let's go, go hard or go home. I can't believe this is his second film. That's crazy. That's insane. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs>